welcome to the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So, pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat and enjoy the conversation. This is episode 94 and today's episode, Attachment Theory, is a back to basics understanding of something which is instrumental to our children's well-being and that's their attachment. So I'm going to do things completely differently. As they say, a change is as good as a rest. So I've decided to mix up the podcast episode and how I'm going to be sort of delivering it to you in a very, very different way. So my give, I'm going to tell you right at the beginning, is going to be a summary of the different attachment types that you can refer back to. And you can head over to drmaryhand.com forward slash library where you'll find the link to download the free resource along with all of the other podcast episodes. What I would just say as a cautionary note Please do not get too hung up on the different attachment types and the observations of those. Nearly 80% of us will have a typical secure attachment. So it's really there as a reference guide of some of the behaviours to look out for, for those of you who've got really young children, as a reassurance that what your child is doing is really normal. But it's also a useful tool for those that listen to the podcast who are childminders, nannies, teachers, teaching assistants, play therapists, therapists who look to the podcast episode and the resources as additional um, aspects to their continual professional development. So that's the give. What I'm also going to ask is I'm going to make a real a request in advance that if you do enjoy this podcast please do take the time to review. The review just literally takes a moment or two. And in fact, maybe you could pause the episode now and do a quick review and a quick rate. It's really helpful in that other families who don't necessarily know about this podcast will find me either because you have wonderfully recommended it Or what happens is it pops up as a recommendation in their podcast library. And that only happens with reviews and ratings from you. So I would be ever so grateful if you did that. And what it also means is the more ratings and reviews that we have, the more of a profile the podcast gets and the bigger the guests that I can approach to come. And I do have a wish list of people I would love to approach. So please do take the time. I would be very, very grateful if you could do that. Now, I'm going to get into some of the nitty gritty of attachment theory, but particularly around how attachment theory is relevant in terms of parenting practices. There's so much research around attachment theory. So there are some things I'm just not going to touch on because it's not directly relevant to the message and the takeaway that I want you to have and the homework that I'm going to give you at the end of our slot. Yes, there is homework. It's new. So I'm going to be kind of covering it from that perspective. So let's start off with just a broad overview that attachment theory is obviously going to be really relevant if you've got a very young child because we think it develops around sort of eight months. So it's a really helpful tool to look at it from that perspective. But it is also supremely helpful when we are supporting teens. So it is never, ever too late to revisit or to learn around attachment theories. So let's start with this notion about actually why is attachment theory important to even discuss? Why is it even relevant? And the relevance is that we have to remember that obviously we are human beings and we have these phenomenally evolved brain that allows us to do all sorts of incredible things and create all sorts of things. But at the basic level, we are animals, we are mammals, and our young are dependent on us for a significantly longer period than other mammals' young 
are dependent. So our children are dependent on us. They can't move and take themselves away from danger. They can't communicate and they can't feed themselves. So there would be, it would make complete sense, for there to be mechanisms in place that would be from a survival, what we call adaptive, for children to create a strong bond with an individual. And that's really what we're talking about in terms of attachment theory. But when we talk about attachment, it really refers to this process by which a child then forms this this attachment, this connection with an individual, an adult, that they know is going to be able to scoop them up should they be in any danger. And when we're talking about attachment for the for the sort of the relevance in terms of parenting and how we approach particular challenges with our children it really hinges around this very crucial concept around emotional sensitivity so in order to achieve this strong attachment this strong bond the caregiver the parent needs to show high levels of emotional sensitivity and emotional responsiveness so that connection comes from our demonstrating that emotional responsiveness to our children's needs and the reason why that this is so important is that attachment theory predicts that those early childhood experiences those early attachments that our children have and create then form this blueprint for how all future relationships are likely to be formed long term. So when we look at these early attachments, how they then form in terms of the relationships that our children then subsequently have with friends and the relationships that our children then have in terms of romantic relationships in the future. And according to general attachment theory, we are generally, 80% of us have this, what we call a secure attachment, or there are a smaller percentage that then have a number of different insecure attachments which are created as a result of how those emotional needs are met or not met when our children are younger. So that's the kind of the broad picture as to why these happen. And there is lots of this suggestion that those early attachments when we're younger then continue forward into adulthood and into our teens in terms of the relationships that we then subsequently have, which is why it's so important that we are aware of it, because then we can act on that. So I'm just going to give you a broad outline of some research that has then sort of fed into this narrative about secure attachments and insecure attachments, just so that you understand when you're looking at the resource, how that relates to it. And then we'll get nitty gritty into what does that actually mean in terms of day to day. So one of the ways that attachment, the well, the way that attachment is measured is in a laboratory and it was The technique was pulled together by a lady called Mary Ainsworth in the US and it's called the strange situation. Now I'm very familiar with this because when I was studying for my PhD as a postgraduate we were often called upon to be the stranger in the strange situation. So the strange situation is this. A mother, um, it's usually mother, father sometimes used to do this but quite often in a research setting it was mother would come in with a child And they would be taken into a room that looked a little bit like a sort of a sitting room as such. So there'd be a sofa, there'd be a rug, there'd be some toys and there would be a mirror. And that mirror was basically a two way mirror where there would be cameras on the other side recording. And they would really be looking and recording. The strange situation is all about how a child responds across a number of different 
sort of scenarios that are created. Um, the strange situation is obviously they're in a situation they're unfamiliar. So the camera is rolling. Mother and child enter the room. There are some toys. Mother would then usually sit on the sofa and the researcher would be looking at how the child explores the room. What do they do around the toys? What's their proximity to their mother? What would happen after a short while is that a stranger would enter the room. The stranger is usually a postdoc, a postdoctoral student, and they, that stranger would begin to engage with mother and talking. And again, the researchers are looking at how does that child respond to that stranger? What would then happen is after that short conversation, mother would leave the room. So the child is then left with the stranger and then the researchers are looking at how does the child respond to that stranger when they're left on their own? And then after a short while, the parent returns and the researcher is looking at what does the child do on that reunion when mum walks back into the room. And then the stranger leaves and that's the end of the strange situation. Now, if we're thinking about this from an adaptive, what would be adaptive? If we're thinking of us, not necessarily in terms of human beings and people who are thinking, um, but in fact, in terms of animals, what would make sense for a baby to do in those situations if we wanted to make sure that we survived as a species well if we survived as a species we would want that child in an unfamiliar situation that they would be a little bit nervous that when someone who don't who they do not know arrives and is present that they would be wary of that of that individual and also when they're then left with that individual that the child would then be nervous and that is pretty much the types of behavior that we would expect to see with a child who we call a child that has a secure attachment and a secure attachment is this attachment where they feel that their emotional needs are being met and responded to by that person that they've got an attachment to. So what we would typically find in a secure attachment is that the child would explore the room while mum is there and they would be close but not literally on top of her. That when the stranger arrived and started talking to mum that they would be a bit wary and a bit nervous and keep a reasonable distance from them that when mum leaves the room that they are sort of very tearful and that they would get upset and that when mum returns that they would actively seek her out so crawl if they're still young and not walking towards her or walk if they're that little bit older and that they're consoled quite quickly and then they return back to play that's a secure attachment. That's a child who knows that that individual has and is able to respond to their emotional needs. And that is what we're really looking for. Now, the reason why I say this, if you're listening to this and you've got a very young child, maybe you're returning to work or maybe you've already returned to work and you are guilt stricken because you have to leave your child at home with a nanny or maybe you're going to a childminder or you're dropping them off at nursery and you feel dreadful you feel that you're failing as a mother you feel that your child is becoming traumatized because you've dropped them off or maybe even your parents look after them or your in-laws look after them so it's a really part of this sort of knowledge about understanding attachment is knowing that that's a really normal thing our children should have separation anxiety they you know it's a normal part of development so that's the first reason in terms of looking at it is that your child is having that 
that's a normal process. If your children are older, if they're five or six and they're still experiencing that separation, that's absolutely fine too. It's a normal part of them being away from that and beginning to learn that new environments are also safe places and that other people are people that they can begin to form those attachments with and to know that they are also going to respond to their emotional needs. So that's one of the reasons why I talk about this. But the other reason why it's really important when we're talking about attachment theory in terms of understanding the mechanics of what we use to measure is that our children are understandably going to feel unsettled when they're put into a strange situation, whether they're young or whether they're older, whether we've got a 13, 14 year old that finds it really difficult when they're put in a situation that is unfamiliar because they're still in that process of trying to figure out whether that environment is a, is a comfortable, safe environment, where are their safe bases. You know, when we talk about a child exploring an environment that is close to us and, you know, you might be listening to this with a young child or an older child and you can remember, we can all remember those times when our children clung on to our leg or our hand or behind us. That was part of their way of beginning to explore their environment. And so it's really important when we see some of this behavior to A, understand that it's that it's normal and B, to be able to understand where that comes from. Our children are still working out and assimilating the information. And so rather than us trying to thrust them forward in those situations, it's being able to recognize, ah, right, my child feels slightly uncomfortable here. They haven't quite worked out who is their secure base who is that person that they can reach out to when they're feeling a bit vulnerable and whilst they're still wobbling from transitioning from saying goodbye to me to then transitioning to this situation so I'm going to give them that time and that reassurance that everything is all right rather than feeling that I need to throw them into that situation so it's you know knowledge is power and being able to understand that these behaviours are typical and normal and actually adaptive. They are meant, they were placed there to help our children, our young, our vulnerable children, to be able to survive. And whilst they're not in any immediate threat, they still may feel threatened by some of those situations. So it's really important that we understand that and then that we respond with that emotional responsiveness, which I shall come back to again, because that's what our children need in those specific situations. It isn't just what they need when they're tiny babies. They need it all the way throughout. And we need to be continually sort of demonstrating for that, topping up their blueprint, helping them feel reassured in those strange situations so they can then move forward. Now, what I do want to talk about is that there are sort of schools of parenting, for example, attachment parenting, which may advocate very particular styles of parenting with guidelines and principles. Now, I am not going to support or criticise these because I fundamentally disagree with following any regimented school of parenting. So I'm not going to go through all the different parenting schools of thought, but my genuine belief is that if you are having to categorise your style of parenting within one school of thought, I don't think that that is healthy. I don't think that that is the right way to go about it, because for me, optimal parenting practices, they should vary wildly from one family to another because the dynamics of the individuals in each family 
vary wildly. So there are, of course, some basic fundamental principles which are good practice, for example, understanding what attachment theory is. But I don't necessarily believe that what we should then be doing is advocating for one type of parenting style and one type of parenting school. I think parenting should be an eclectic mix of taking in information and knowledge from multiple different schools, multiple different thoughts around parenting, putting in the fundamental basics that we need our children to be able to understand and that are crucial and important, but then adapting and modifying these because for our individual families rather than feeling that we have to rigidly adhere to one particular school. So for me, what's really important if you're listening to this is that healthy attachments with our children do not require us to breastfeed our children. Healthy attachments do not require of us to have our babies strapped to us at all times and neither does good attachment require of us to co-sleep with our children. Now we can of course choose to breastfeed our children for as long as we want. That's our choice. We can also choose to baby wear our child for as long as we want and that's our choice. And we can also choose to co-sleep with our baby for as long as we feel if it feels right for us and our partner and our family situation. What I am against is feeling that if you don't do these amongst others you will not have a healthy and secure relationship with your child and that there will be all sorts of negative outcomes when they become adults. That I do not advocate for. I think, you know, a lot of this is about really digging deep as to what feels right for my family. And if it's jarring with you, if anything that you read, if anything you hear doesn't sit right, then it isn't right for your family. It doesn't matter if everyone else is hailing it and talking about it as the next best thing and how important it is. If it doesn't feel right to co-sleep with your child, don't do it. If it doesn't feel right or that there are mechanisms or that there are things that mean that you don't end up breastfeeding your child, then that is absolutely fine. You are going to have a phenomenally secure attachment because attachment is about your emotional responsiveness to your child. It is not about having your child glued to you in every conceivable way. So it's really important that we remember this. I think that there is so much thrown at us as parents that make us feel guilty about all manner of things and it's just unnecessary for that to be the case. So... What is the crucial takeaway, in my opinion, from attachment theory is that we are sensitive to respond to our children's emotional needs and we support, we provide support and help our children to regulate these big emotions. And we do this by helping them contain those big emotions in a kind of metaphorical vessel Yeah, we're creating some form of containment for that so that they're, it's not about containing it as in getting them to keep their emotions to themselves, but providing a metaphorical vessel for them to work through that emotion that is contained rather than meeting their emotional dysregulation with our emotional dysregulation. And then what happens is you have a young child, a five-year-old, six-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old feeling emotionally dysregulated, feeling this huge 
emotion that takes up their whole world that is then met with our frustration, irritation, upset, anger, rage. And then what's happening is this child is then feeling, I can't cope. And the way that my parent is reacting suggests that this is also a situation that is uncopable. And that's where we get into these huge spirals. So it's really remembering, if you take one thing away from this podcast episode around attachment, it's this notion around our responsiveness and our sensitivity to that. And it's not about being permissive. You know, when we talk about helping our children manage and regulate their emotions, it's not about saying it's okay to have an absolute meltdown because I've asked you to go to bed. It's not about saying it's okay when a teenager answers back and is rude or pushes boundaries constantly. But what it means when we're talking about being emotionally responsive is understanding the emotion behind that. It's understanding that when our child is nervous about something, that they may respond in an angry, frustrated, lashing out way that is simply indicating fear. And our role in terms of responding and being emotionally sensitive in that moment is to provide the container and the acknowledgement that this feels really scary for you right now and not presenting solutions, but being that vessel that helps them contain that by meeting it compassionately, by meeting it with a hug if that's what your child needs, a reassurance and affirming that it feels difficult for them, a conversation, a sitting just next to and being with them as they experience that big emotion rather than pushing them away. So it's really remembering that those are our roles in those moments. And of course, there'll be times where their big emotion pushes buttons with ours and we experience a big emotion. But if we can contain their emotion in this vessel that helps them begin to diffuse that by not meeting it with ours most of the time, then that really is us being emotionally responsive and being emotionally sensitive in that time. So your takeaway lesson in this new format podcast is to ask yourself these two questions and to ask yourself these two questions honestly. The first is, how am I currently showing up for my child emotionally? And please don't get caught up in the negative bits, but really, what am I doing currently that I'm pleased with? that I'm doing that is showing that I'm emotionally responsive and I'm emotionally available and I'm helping them. And it may well be that you're doing that because you're having conversations with them. Maybe at bedtime, you're having conversations about things. Maybe you're being emotionally, you're showing up currently because you're labeling their emotions for them. Maybe you're showing up for your child emotionally because you're taking time to look after you. Yeah, quite often, We get caught up in the how am I showing up currently for my child because we get caught up in what am I doing for my child? But actually showing up for your child emotionally also is around us taking time to take care of us so that we can then be available to emotionally regulate for them. So the first question is, how am I currently showing up for my child emotionally? And you may need to do that multiple times for each child because you may be showing up differently emotionally for each child. And then the second question is, in what ways could I help my child better when it comes to emotional containment? So it's really looking at, for each of my children right now, how could I better show up 
to help them with their emotional containment. And this is much more about where they're at currently. What's the space they're in? What support do they need? And with this new knowledge that I have around attachment theory and this new information, what might I want to add in? What might I want to top up, having done that reflective piece, that they may need right now? Because remember... Our children need different things at different times. They're going through different ages and stages. They're dealing with different challenges at different times. So it's thinking through how might I, in this moment, then maybe change. And for some of your children, it may well be that there is nothing else that you need to do. And that's great. But make sure that in the what ways could I help my child better when it comes to an emotional containment is not just look at what you might do for your child, But what might you be able to do that involves work that you need to do for yourself in terms of making sure that you're okay to make sure that your child's okay? So I'm hoping that you like this new format. We're going to be sticking to this format of the podcast, this new format for some time. And please feel free to kind of send in your feedback because I think maybe ending with a takeaway lesson and the resource at the beginning might be a new fun way of exploring it but do email in with your thoughts at contact at drmaryhand.com and please please do take the time to rate and review if you have enjoyed this podcast so until next time Mm -hmm.